person and you, you know you have so much going for you why would you need a crutch like religion I'm like because I got a broken leg and I got a broken life and, and the gospel's for people willing to say I don't have it all together and God loves me and he's changing me right where I am the gospel isn't for people say I don't need any help there's nothing worse than thinking that you're whole when realizing that you're leaking there's nothing worse than that desperation can drive us straight off the rails of our walk with Jesus One day we're walking in faith with Him, then a situation arises that threatens our plans, and we spring into action without going to God first. Today, Rachel and Leah get caught up in a war of their own making. As Pastor Daniel leads us through Genesis 29, we'll hear how their angst creates a colossal mess. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis 29, verse 1, with his continuing study entitled, Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. Every time polygamy is described, it's always negative. Why? Because the ways of God is always subversive to certain aspects of the host culture. That's what the Bible is. That's what Christianity is today. God's people following Jesus is meant to undercut, to undermine the host culture that we live in. The economics... You know, I heard someone say this, that, you know, people think Jesus is really great, but they don't think he's very smart. It's so interesting to watch the church be used as a political niche group, as if, as if the economics of Jesus has anything to do with either, on its extreme form, socialism or capitalism. I mean, does Jesus condone either of those? No, not at all. Now, don't get me wrong, we have to vote based on the lesser of two evils, But that doesn't mean we have to live based on the lesser of two evils. The economics of Jesus are actually pretty crazy. Because Jesus tells you that you should give it all away. Not by law, but because you can. So we follow Jesus, but do we really give it all away? And I preach to myself on this. Most people would rather follow Donald Trump's financial advice or Robert Kiyosaki's financial advice or Warren Buffett's financial advice rather than the economics of Jesus. See, our culture, the politics tell us that we should live a certain way, but Jesus says, no, I want you to live completely different. See, Jesus offends both sides because the gospel of Jesus Christ and us as the people of God following him, we undercut the predominant culture, whether it's left or right. I always tell people as a Christian, I don't want to be on the left side of the aisle, on the right side. I want to be on the upside of the aisle. Because Jesus doesn't say be on the left or be on the right. He says, seek the kingdom of God and all of my righteousness and all these things will be added. So forget being on the left. Let's let's be upward. Let's be vertical. Because as we live our lives to God, then we're going to go straight on that, through that narrow gate. See, the people of God are always meant on every turn to be treacherous and traitorous to the predominant paradigm of a culture. It was true 
thousands of years ago in the Old Testament. It was true 2,000 years ago when the Son of God walked on the earth. And it's been true in every generation of the people of God. And we, as a church, are learning how to walk subversively to 21st century American culture. We're learning how. And we're doing it together. We're traveling that path together, saying, you know, listen, I don't have to be Americanized. I can just follow Jesus in this context. And it's going to look unique. But I guarantee you, no political party is going to encourage you to follow Jesus. You know why? Because they're all about staying in power, not about giving up power. I mean, Jesus' view of power is not, if you have it, you serve the world because you have it. That's what I love about politicians. It's a bad economy. No one's cutting their salaries. No one's giving up their pension plans. Oh, they're so good. No, they're not. They all need Jesus. A godly government would say, you know what, listen, we need to fix this. And this is, we're not going to fix it by either more regulation or less regulation. We're going to fix it by, oh yeah, we make $100,000 a year for the rest of our lives for serving for two years. It's a good use of our tax dollars, right? The richest, wealthiest country in the world, and we have a huge population of poor people. Is that loving our neighbors as ourselves? No. I don't know about you guys, but I want to go the Jesus way. I'm sure you're going to vote for a political party. I'm not saying that. But our allegiance is to a political party, is it? Because his kingdom is not of this world. So we live here as vacationers through this because we're really living for a greater prize, a different way of life, a new way to be human, a new way to be alive that has everything to do with giving our whole lives to God with all that we are and looking at our neighbor and saying, I am going to treat you the way I wish someone would treat me if I was in your shoes. It's so simple, yet it's so hard, isn't it? You know why? You know why it's so hard? Because Jesus is not a safe person to follow. Have you thought about that? Following Jesus is the least safe option you have. Because Jesus is not playing by the rules of 21st century America. He's, and you know what's awesome? He wasn't playing by the rules of 1st century Roman Judaic culture. Or any culture. He is just not playing by the rules of today. He's playing by a whole other set of rules. With a whole other scorecard in mind. And for each one of us, God calls us to be subversive. To cut against our culture. In some ways. And we have to find out what that is. So, I say all that because, you know, you read this and you're like, Man, I can't believe Jacob... Married these two women. And I can't believe the Bible would say that. And does the Bible hate women? No, no, listen. This, the characterization of polygamy in the Bible actually proves why God ends up outlawing it. And even though David and Solomon, they multiplied wives, God said, don't do it. Because there's issues involved. And if you don't believe that there's issues involved, look at what starts going on in verse 31. Now, verse 31 of Genesis 29, all the way to verse 24 of Genesis 30, I like to call the baby wars. Because two women married to Jacob, they figure the best way to have Jacob love them more is to bear more children. So they are on the baby race. Look at what happens in verse 31. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, or literally it means was loved, it literally says she was hated. 
the Hebrew says she was hated. In the book of Romans, it talks about uh, the two sons, a Jacob I have loved that Esau I have hated. Now we have that Rachel is loved and Leah is hated. And the idea is, is that in contrast, when one is loved, the other will be despised because you can't serve two masters, right? You'll either love the one Jesus said or what? Or hate the other. Now, that's hyperbole in a sense. It's poetic, but he's showing that contrast. And so we see from the beginning that Rachel is, is given the priority and Leah is diminished. And so the Lord sees this. And what happens? He opened up her womb, but Rachel was barren. Verse 32. Look at what happens. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. So Reuben means literally behold a son. And her thinking is that the Lord has looked upon me in my issues, and now my husband's going to love me. From there, verse 33, it says this. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And Simeon means heard or hearing. So you see what's going on. So Rachel is given the priority, but Leah's bearing children. And every time Leah has a child, she thinks this is going to be the circumstances that now Jacob's going to love me more than Rachel. So we have Simeon, his name is hearing because the Lord has heard her cries. Now, verse 34, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name is called Levi. And Levi means attached or joined. So she said, listen, I've borne him three sons. Now Jacob's heart's going to be attached to me. In verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. And Judah literally means praise or the praise of God. So you see what's going on here. She's born four sons. It's interesting that now she praises the Lord. Four sons. She's like, now, now I'm going to give God glory. But it says that she stops bearing. So what happens next in chapter 30? Verse 1. Now Rachel, when she saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Can you imagine living in this type of an environment? I can't imagine being Leah who realizes that her husband loves her sister more than her. Right? And so she's bearing children. And then all of a sudden, Rachel comes and like, I need a baby or else I'm going to die. And then Jacob's like, am I, am I God? W what am I supposed to do? And so sure enough, what happens? A plan gets concocted. Verse 3, look at what it says. So she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees and I will also may have children by her. Now, we've seen this before because this is exactly what Sarah did by giving Abraham her handmaiden as a surrogate. Remember, they ended up with Ishmael through Hagar. It's the same thing over and over again. Now, this was this idea of bearing a child on my knees. This was the way in that culture they did surrogate motherhood. Now, there's differing accounts of it. Some people say that when 
a man went into the surrogate that she would actually sit on her mistress's knees, which would be really weird. Um, or it's when the baby was born, she sat on her mistress. But the idea was is that Bilhah was bearing the child as if it was Rachel's own. So the classic case, I remember when I was uh, a young man, there was that whole Baby M surrogate case that went on in the 80s when sur uh, surrogate motherhood became in the forefront of the news because the surrogate mother didn't want to give the baby up and there was a whole big lawsuit that was on the news for a long, long time. So this is an example of surrogacy in that culture. So it's interesting, not learning from his grandfather Abraham's mistake, Jacob goes along for the ride with this. Verse 4, it says, Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore a son. Verse 6, Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Dan literally means judge or judging. So people always, when they call me Dan, I always think to myself, I like Daniel better. Because Daniel means God is my judge. So when you call me Dan, you're just saying that I'm judging you. And when you call me Daniel, you say God is my judge. I'm like, ah, oh, much better. Much more theologically correct. Now, if you're in here and, you're Nick, and your name is Dan, don't worry about it. It's okay. God's grace is good. Now, oh, no. Speaking of names, people want to call me Danny. I always tell people, the only people who are allowed to call me Danny are my grandma and my wife. Don't you ever have those names when your pet names? Like when my grandma calls me Danny, I know that food's on the way. So you can call me Danny, but you better give me a cannoli right after it, you know? <laughs> Just Danny with a cannoli chaser. I like that. It's good. <laughs> but Bilhah has a son. Rachel says, listen, God has judged my case. He's heard my voice. He's given me a son. So we're calling his name Dan, which means judge. In verse 7, and Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son, Verse 8, Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. And Naphtali literally means my wrestling. Now, I mean, she's like, Look, I've wrestled, and I'm wrestling, I'm fighting with my sister, and now I'm winning because she had four sons, and now I have two sons. I mean, is this a mess or what? What's so fascinating to me is that people always want to say, oh, you know, the Bible's all made up. It's like nobody would make up a story like this. I mean, this is like days of our lives, way before days of our lives ever happened. You know, like Jacob is a patriarch of the faith and he's involved in this. See, this is what I love about the Bible. One of the proofs in the veracity and the reality of the Bible is because if you want to write a story about a, a hero, it just doesn't look like this. I mean, Jacob, with his now three wives, by the time we're done with this section, he's going to have four wives, you know? And it's like, and then you think of David, the great king David who committed murder, adultery, and treachery. You think of Solomon, the wisest man ever with hundreds of wives and building pagan altars. You have Moses who's married to a pagan gal. Oh, and of course you get into the New Testament, you have Saul of Tarshish who was out killing people. Peter, who forsakes Jesus. I mean, God takes riffraff and fits us for glory. And so, see, this is what I love about the Bible. If you write in a fairy tale, it's not like this. It's not like where the, where the worst characters are the ones who God uses and chooses. 
You just don't write stories like that. No one has ever written stories like that where the biggest scoundrel gets God's grace. But that's the way God rolls. God likes it that way. When Jesus came to choose disciples, he didn't find the finest scholars from the Pharisees. He grabbed fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. When God came to choose a family, he chose you and I. How cool is that? Because the gospel's not for the greatest, it's for the least. The gospel's for the people who realize, look, I need help. People say to me all the time, oh, you know, Daniel, I can't believe it. You're such a smart person and, you, you know, you have so much going for you. Why would you need a crutch like religion? I'm like, because I got a broken leg and I got a broken life. And, and the gospel's for people willing to say, I don't have it all together. And God loves me and he's changing me right where I am. The gospel isn't for people who say, I don't need any help. There's nothing worse than thinking that you're whole when realizing that you're leaking. There's nothing worse than that. So and that's an encouragement for us, isn't it? That God loves riffraff. That God takes the foolish things that confound the wise. That God takes people like you and I and chooses to put his spirit in us through faith and transform us and use us for glorious things. Tools fitted for the master's usage. It's awesome. The gospel's awesome. So cool. Now look at verse 9. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob, his wife. You see this now? Leah's like, listen, I'm not bearing, and now Rachel's, you know, Bilhah's bearing, and so I got Zilpah, so let's get her in the mix. I mean, that's really what's going on here. And it's not what he says. She took Zilpah, in verse 9, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Gad literally means troop or good fortune. Because there's now there's, there's five boys on that side of the family. So it's like, hey, we, got, we have a basketball team going here. We got like a little special forces army here. Verse 12, then Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. And Asher means happy. In verse 14, now Reuben went. Now, before I start this, you have to realize that, like, you really think about, I mean, you can imagine Jacob's got to be exhausted at this point. I mean, this is like, you know, cardio work unlike anything we've seen in the Bible yet. But, but now things go from really crazy bad and now it's going to get really bad because look at what happens next. I mean, verse 14, now Reuben went into, went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Now Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes but she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Now, mandrakes in that culture were considered an aphrodisiac and also helped with fertility. So in a sense, mandrakes in that culture were like a fertility drug. And Rachel says, listen, hey, can I have some of those mandrakes? And she's like, look, you got my husband. You want my son's mandrakes also? And she's like, listen, I'll trade you a night with Jacob. I didn't write this stuff. I'm just telling you what it says. Look at this. 
Verse 16. When Jacob came out from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. I'm going to withhold commentary on that. In the end of the verse, And he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because... I have given my maid to my husband, so she named him Issachar. And Issachar literally means wages or reward. Now, you see the irony of this. Rachel traded a night with Jacob for some mandrakes, and then Leah got pregnant. Some of these things, I don't even know what to say about it. Like, I'm like, you know, what, what do you say about this? I mean, this is just crazy what's going on. Now, it keeps going. Look at this. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And he called his name Zebulun. And that means dwelling. So God will, my husband will dwell with me. Thus the name. Now, think about this. At, oh, let me give you verse 21 first. And afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. And Dinah means judgment. It comes from the same root as Dan. So at this point, Leah had four sons, right? And then Bilhah had two sons, and then Zilpah had two sons, and then now Leah had two more sons and a daughter. That's why I call this the baby wars. It's just like, who can have more babies quicker? And then in verse 22, look at this. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her, and opened her wound, and she conceived and bore a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph, and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Now we have Joseph, and Joseph means he will add. Now what's interesting is, when God finally remembers Rachel at the end of this thing, she names him Joseph, and she's speaking prophetically because she's saying, God will add to me another son, which we will see in Genesis 35, which is the birth of Benjamin, which is also Rachel's death because she dies in childbirth for Benjamin. But what you have here in this whole mess is you have the 12 tribes of Israel. That's what you get here from this whole calamity. And why do I make that point? Because we know that the 12 tribes of Israel end up being the, the foundation of the people of God. Why? Because once again, we see God's grace at work. In the midst of a mess, in the midst of sin and all this stuff, we get God's grace. Still finding a way to bring blessing out of sin. Finding a way to bring beauty out of ashes finding a way to see a calamity of two sisters married to the same man and now two handmaidens also in the mix. And God can bring glory. So listen, no matter what's going on, no matter how rough it is right now, God can do anything through the circumstances of our lives. So be encouraged by that. The Bible is full of messes that God brings glory out of. Jesus is Rachel was the preferred wife of Jacob, so God blessed Leah with many sons. But the sisters were in competition, getting their handmaids to have Jacob's children as well. But even though this was not God's plan for them, out of it will come the 12 tribes of Israel. 
We know that God doesn't need our money, but He uses our finances to help further His kingdom. We want to invite you to partner with us and help expand God's kingdom through Jesus is Real Radio. Your monthly or one-time gift will allow us to continue to grow our radio ministry in other parts of the world, sharing the life-changing experience of knowing that Jesus is real. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. Pastor Daniel covered quite a bit in today's message. Perhaps you'd like to review? You can listen to today's message again by logging on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just select today's date from the media player. Another way to get in contact with us is by email. The address is info at JesusIsRealRadio.com. By far, the best way to stay current with everything that you hear on Jesus Is Real Radio is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. Just follow the link at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Play some marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel continues through Genesis where we'll find Jacob is blessed not only with children, but materially as well. He'll leave Laban, but he won't go empty-handed. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we want to invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. My life is no typical journey.